Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Only on Game of Thrones could you consider like feel-good moments, moments where a guy was eaten alive by dogs. But that was definitely one of the most feel-good moments in the history of the show. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV, and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. Hello again, my friend. Good to talk to you. Welcome to another fun-filled, fast-paced edition of the Stream Police Podcast, where we sift through the media wasteland and find out what's garbage out there streaming for you right now and what's actually worth your time, what's worth a damn, what's worth sitting down and spending an hour and a half with or, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 hours with, depending on what you're trying to watch. I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com and also the host of this bi-weekly show, uh, and I'll be joined a little bit later on by my co-host and partner in crime, Andy Sedlak, our music editor at OverdueReview.com. 31 episodes and going strong here of the Stream Police and brought to you free as always. We thank our friends at Acast for doing that and uh, would definitely urge you to uh, send us an email. If you have any uh, questions or you have any requests or you have any thoughts on the show, you can write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com, Davis at gmail.com, and you can write Andy at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter at overdue underscore review. Let me get started as I always do. I'm recording this as usual in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I can I barely have enough room to like stretch one elbow out. Can't stretch them both out. It's just too tight in here, but I do it for the love of you guys. It's it's July. It's sweltering in here, but I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to make it even worse for myself, uh, but a little bit better by lighting my stogie of the week. Here we go. Makes it a little hard to breathe in here, but, oh, the scent is unbelievable. So I do it for you guys. Like I said, if I had enough room to put my feet up, I would do that as well. All right, let's get started as we have been for the last few weeks running with our fan favorite segment, the greatest Greatest TV TV show show theme theme song song of of all time time. this week. And if you know the opening of that theme song just by the first few chords, I'd be happy to call you a friend of mine. It's the British Office's theme song, Handbags and Glad Rags, arranged by Big George. we've got a show with a bunch of poorly dressed British schlubs wasting the prime of their lives away in a paper company office whose slogan is life is stationary. What better theme song could you possibly have for a show like that than a mournful piano ballad in which the narrator essentially tells a young person to give up on being fashionable and grand and embrace the more realistic things in life.
The song Handbags and Glad Rags was originally written by Mike Dabo, who was the lead singer of the 1960s group Manfred Mann. It was recorded, the song, by plenty of artists over the years, most notably by Rod Stewart. So Handbags and Glad Rags was obviously not written for the British office. It was selected as the theme song, and I think it was selected perfectly. The version used in the British office theme song was arranged by a guy named Big George, who basically is like the king of British TV theme songs, or he was until uh, he passed, I believe. He was basically like Britain's version of Mike Post. And this was one of those TV theme songs that I never skipped. I talk about that all the time when I'm doing this segment. The ones that you always watch, even if you watch, you know, 100 episodes of a show, you never skip through the opening just because you enjoy it so much. It tells you so much. It's comforting. I think that's the big thing. I think it's it's usually comforting. And with the British office, now, I mean, total, how many episodes were there total? 14 total episodes over the course of two seasons. That was the entire run of the series. So it's not like I had to hear the song a bunch of times. I heard it 14 times. Big deal, right? You hear it more times than that in one season of an American, you know, sitcom TV show. But still, I never skipped through it. And it's kind of a lengthy opening, but I I always watched it because I just, I love the opening. I just think it's fun. Something about it being paired with the drab visuals of the industrial town in England where the show was set made it so sad, but also so funny because you knew what was coming. And that's just like the show, just sad and funny at the same time. Its use on the British office made the song a hit once again and spurred several artists to actually cut new versions of Handbags and Glad Rags. So I'm sure old Mike Dabo was uh, very happy about that, and it even uh, had Rod Stewart uh, re-recording a new version with uh, Phil Collins on drums, actually. The Office ran for two seasons on BBC Two from 2001 to 2003, and it had an indelible impact on television. The franchise was spun off for international versions all around the globe, the most notable, of course, being the American Office, which ran for, I think, nine seasons on NBC. It was a staple of primetime TV for almost a decade, um, and it's all because of the British Office, one of the most influential TV shows in the history of the medium and definitely um, since the year 2000. And its theme song, Handbags and Glad Rags, was one of the best TV show theme songs of all time, and it's my selection this week for the greatest TV show theme song of all time. And go ahead and call me a hipster, but I'll always take the British office over the American one. Carell was great. Rain Wilson was great. But Gervais and Martin Freeman and the rest of that cast, but especially Gervais as David Brent, is to me one of the like all-time signature acting performances and roles ever. I mean, he is, no matter what other things Gervais does in his career, and he's done a lot of great ones. I mean, Extras was almost, I mean, just as good a show as The Office was, just as funny. Uh, but... His role as David Brent is just, I mean, it's an all-time classic. I love that. So if you never sat down with the British office, I mean, hell, it, like I said, it's 14 total episodes, half-hour episodes. It'll take you no time to zoom through it. You can you can rip through it in a single day and um, really definitely in a weekend, and you'll be changed forever having watched it, and you'll love it, and you'll definitely see the influence, especially on the first season of the American office, which lifted a lot of the jokes in the uh, – uh, things that happened straight from the British office's first season. People see me and they see the suit and they go, you're not fooling anyone. They know I'm rock and roll through and through. But uh, you know that old thing, live fast, die young. Not my way. Live fast, sure, live too bloody fast sometimes. But uh, die old, that's the way. Not orthodox, you know. I don't live by the rules. All right, let's move on to another show that's on uh, television right now. And actually, it's not even it's not on TV in the traditional way. It's on streaming. It's Transparent, which uh, is an Amazon Prime Video original. Uh, two seasons and counting of this show. It, it has been renewed. It's going to be coming back, of course. Um, and it's really it, the show that put Amazon Prime Video on the map after winning the Golden Globe 
uh, for Best Comedy Series. The show is created by Jill Soloway. It stars Jeffrey Tambor, who's one of the best TV actors in history, and he finally got an Emmy for his performance in this show years and years long overdue. You remember Jeffrey Tambor as the dad from Arrested Development. He also played uh, the great part of Hank in uh, the Larry Sanders show on HBO. Tambor's just had one of the best TV careers that you could possibly have. I mean, really not a movie career at all, but he's been, he's jumped from great show to great show. I mean, he's been on three shows and all three of them, I would call like all time comedy classics. So uh, just a really hard guy to beat on TV. So Jeffrey Tambor's the star. Gabby Hoffman is uh, is co-starring as his daughter. Amy Laniker also uh, playing one of the daughters there. And Jay Duplass is uh, the son on the show. And I also want to give a shout out in the cast to Alexandra Billings, an openly trans actor. Again, I'm not saying the word actress anymore, but she is a female actor uh, who is openly trans and does an amazing job on this show. So good, so straight, so um, just just solid all the way through. Every time Alexandra Billings has a scene on the show, I look forward to it. Uh, but transparent, I got to say, if you don't know anything about this show, what the show is about in a nutshell, it's really about a family. It's about a family uh, called the, the Pfeffermans who live in California, um, and their patriarch has suddenly turned into really the matriarch because um, the father of the family, played by Jeffrey Tambor, comes out as trans um, in the opening couple episodes of the show. So basically transforming the way that his entire family has seen him all these years by saying, you know what, I'm a woman, I've always been a woman, and we get flashbacks into, um, you know, how long he's been fighting with this, you know, identity crisis, basically. And, you know, it's a very topical thing for now, and it makes for really an interesting show about identity and about family, about relationships, um, and, and and pulling those to the, the limit, really, about understanding a person. How do you understand a person? I mean, is it all on the surface or is it deeper than that? So it's just, uh, it, it's a really interesting starting point for a show. But this show isn't just about, like, transgender rights. That's not really what it's all about. Um, it's not a political show, I would not say at all. Uh, it is really a show, like I said, about identity and, and all the different types of identity that one can have. And while Jeffrey Tambor is the star and Maura Pfefferman, um, his character's name, is definitely the late lead character in the show, there, it really... Tambor splits time with everybody else. I mean, every character on the show, every member of the Pfefferman family honestly is so fully realized and gets their own storylines that this is not this is not the kind of show that's a lead character show it's an ensemble show so it's a big cast show the only member of the family who really is not i would not consider a main main character is the mother in the family the original matriarch of the family who just really gets on my nerves a lot and she's definitely my least favorite part of the show but transparent did not even really pique my interest until it won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series. I had never heard of it. So then all of a sudden at the Golden Globes, it's nominated for all these awards. I'm like, oh, Jeffrey Tambor, I didn't even know he was in anything. They're showing clips of it. He's dressed up like a woman. I mean, I'm going, what is this show? This is when the transgender movement really just kind of started to pick up a little bit of steam. So it was very much on the cutting edge of that. The show, though, comes out and wins the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Series, the biggest award you can win if you're a comedy series. That was a first for any streaming network. Netflix had never won an award, a Golden Globe, for Best Dramatic or Comedy Series. They'd never done it before. Uh, House of Cards never did that. I think it was nominated, but never won it. But Transparent did it. It won for Best Comedy Series. So I'm like, oh, my God, what is this show? So then finally... I pick it up here in the last few months. I finally just got around to it. I've been watching a lot of stuff on Amazon. I kept seeing transparent ads, and I really wanted to watch it, and I finally sat down and watched it. And I zoomed through it because it's two seasons so far of 10 episodes each with a half-hour you know, running time for each episode. So once again, you're talking about a very quick watch-through. It's one of those that I think you, you kind of do – it, it's not really like a binge-watching binge kind of show. You do want to give a little bit of breathing room between each episode, but not too much. Um, you know, you just... It's not one of those shows that, that puts you on, like, the edge of your seat at the end of the episodes. We're not, like, ending episodes in cliffhangers or anything like that. Um, the, the show is definitely set in reality, for sure. 
And like I said, I've always loved Jeffrey Tambor, going back to his time on The Larry Sanders Show and in Arrested Development, he was brilliant. And I adored Gabby Hoffman in the movie Now and Then, which I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that. That was a, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite coming-of-age films. It's about a group of four girls growing up in the 1960s, and we, we go back and forth from them in the 1960s as kids to them in the 1990s as grown women. And uh, it's just it's a great cast. we got Thora Birch, Gabby Hoffman, Christina Ricci. Um, who else is in this thing? Uh, Demi Moore is in it. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell's in it. It's a really, really good cast and a really just cool movie. I love that movie. Great soundtrack. Now and Then's awesome, so I just want to throw that out there. But Gabby Hoffman was in it, and she was really good in the movie. She was really interesting and one of the lesser-known actresses in the movie. Oh, there's that word again. One of the lesser-known female actors in that movie. And now here she is. She's all grown up. She's in Transparent. She's playing this kind of uh, androgynous uh, daughter of the family, the youngest daughter, and really the most lost of anyone in this family. But she also kind of acts as the rock for Mora to lean on, which is really interesting. What the f*** is high femme anyway? Is this high femme? Lace? No, that's like what you're wearing when they find your body in a motel room. That's not. You know, just a little word of advice. It kind of creeps guys out when you bring luggage over on the first date. It's not luggage, it's a bag. It's just an extra bag. I don't know what we're going to do. Is this high femme? Is this good? No, that's Holly Hobby. I don't get it. It's okay. a high femme thing. Okay. I'm low femme. Me. Low femme. Right? Okay, so what am I? You're like middle earth femme. Like the Hobbit? No, like people that live under the subway. Like mole people femme. Transparent is all about family, about faith, about identity, especially about identity. All these characters have secrets, um, even from one another. And this is like a really extremely open family, more open than I'm sure your family is, definitely more open than my family is. And, and they really let their flags fly around each other. They, they feel safe around each other, which is a cool thing to watch. But they still all have secrets from each other. I mean, obviously, Mora's secret, or Mort, Mort's secret as being a woman all this time and identifying as a woman and, and, and dressing up as a woman and, and doing these kind of things behind closed doors, I mean, it was a big secret for a long time, which he finally lets go of, embraces it, that he does identify as a woman and and finally starts to, you know, be honest with everyone around him. But he's still not that honest uh, with everyone. So it's like there's still shades of that Mort who's a liar. But Mora is the more honest and open, you know, part of this person. But they've all got secrets that they they keep from one another and they pretty much all eventually end up coming out as the show goes on and on. But like I said, Definitely a show about identity, definitely a show about how we see other people, how we relate to them. Um, it's also a very Jewish show, I will say. Transparent is one of the most Jewish shows I've ever seen. And when I say that, I don't mean like the actors are all Jews, so it's a Jewish show. I mean like much deeper than that. I mean this show is really about what it means to be Jewish. What do you take away from that faith? It explores the Jewish faith and the Jewish identity deeply um, issues of you know family members in the Holocaust and having uh, survivors in your family or having people who died in the Holocaust in your family. It's really, really, and all the history that was lost there and trying to you know rediscover it despite all the things that were burned back then. So it's really just uh, a show that is a lot about, like I said, being a Jew and about what goes into that. So it's it's really interesting from that point of view as well. So if you are Jewish or if you're somebody who wants to know more about that, then, I mean, this is a really good show to watch because it really opened my eyes to uh, to some things. But like I said, when I say it's a really Jewish show, I don't just mean, well, the actors are all Jews. I mean, it really gets into, you know, what is it to be a Jew, um, you know, in America and really, you know, anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where you're at. Nearly all the characters also struggle with their sexual identity. And actually, I would say every character on this show struggles with their sexual identity. I would say sex is so paramount in the show Transparent. It is so uh, deeply a part of these characters and cannot be overestimated how important sex is in this show, whether it's your orientation, whether it's your sexual identity. Um, It's just Sex is such a fluid thing on this show. I've never really seen another show that treats sex and the identity of sex 
um, and sexual preference the way that this show does. I mean, characters will go from being gay to straight to being bi in the course of a couple of episodes, and they won't bat an eye about it. And it's and it makes you really realize how silly all these labels are that we carry around in society. And I think that's really what makes Transparent such a, a transformative and interesting show is what it can kind of teach us about identity, about sexual identity, and really about how silly it is uh, that we have to put everyone into a box um, because these characters don't live in boxes. They, they try to, but oftentimes that ends uh, very badly uh, for everyone involved. So it's just a, it's a really, it's a show that really will have you thinking about a lot of things. Um, I think. And that's what I really appreciate about a very good TV show. And like I said, this is not a long show. Episodes are a half hour. They're like 27 minutes long. They're very quick. They're funny. They're like almost every episode is really funny. Very touching. Good music. But it will have you thinking about deep things, but it doesn't beat you over the head with like, this is how you should feel. And like I said, it's not a political show. It doesn't make you feel bad about things, about the way you know you feel, the way you believe. But it, I think it will open your eyes to some things and certainly to how other people are living. You know that mom and dad had all of us before they were my age? Can you imagine? Before they were my age. God, they must have been terrified. She didn't know what to do with us. And doctors in those days were telling women not to breastfeed. We were all just miserable and crying and sick because we were just eating that gross formula. She had the tits. They were just sitting there, big and leaky, but she didn't know what to do with them because she was told it was wrong to use them. And who's she going to talk to? All right, well, I'm not hungry anymore. Not dad. Jesus Christ, not dad. Oh, my God. I'm worried about you. I have to tell him. No. Yes. Allie's crazy. It's tell me what? It's to tell. Tell me what? As far as the style of the show goes, it's made in kind of an abstract, artistic way at times. We do see things sometimes on screen that are only in the characters' minds, but be- come out being represented on screen at times. So sometimes that can be jarring. You're trying to figure out what's real, what's really on screen. Am I, am I in a character's head? Especially Gabby Hoffman's character. We go inside her head a lot, and we see, you know, some of the—she does drugs, you know, occasionally on the show, and sometimes we'll see, like, what's coming out in her head, uh, represented on screen. Amy Landecker's character uh, is also kind of the same way, especially when it comes to her sexual fantasies. We see them acted out on screen, even though they're not really there, but we see them. So it can be jarring at times, but that's the style of the show. Like I said, it's a little bit abstract sometimes, but not in a way that I I feel like will get you lost, Um, except for maybe a couple episodes in the second season where it really does uh, stretch the uh, boundaries of, you know, how you can tell stories on TV in a linear way. Second season also blends in a series of flashbacks that kind of complicate the family's history a little bit and make things even more interesting as you're thinking about this family. It also looks like a movie. Like every episode of the show looks like a movie in terms of production style. And I don't mean in the way that like The Sopranos, I always felt like that show looked like a film, especially the later seasons. The 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 last few seasons of that show, every episode looked like a Martin Scorsese movie. I mean, it was how good this show looked in high definition. It was just gorgeous. Production values were um, were outstanding, and, and it was like they were shooting the episodes on film or something, it felt like. This show looks like a movie, but it looks more like an indie movie. It doesn't look like a big-budget gangster movie. It looks like an indie movie with, uh, you know, kind of the colors that are used, the color palette, and uh, the way that the show is shot. Um but like I said, it's it's an attractive show to watch. And, uh, again, that was something that I, I really did like about this series. And I think it lent well to the theme of the show and the style of the show. The creator of Transparent, Jill Soloway, previously wrote for HBO's Six Feet Under. I've talked about – I feel like I reference Six Feet Under like every episode of the stream police. Somehow it comes up because it is the like the high watermark for family TV dramas – um, that I always go back to. So anytime I'm talking about a show about family, I mention Six Feet Under because I think it's the zenith of really that genre of TV. And Soloway worked on Six Feet Under. I went back and looked at some of the episodes that she wrote. I was reading, you know, which ones she did write. She wrote like a handful of episodes. It was less than 10 episodes over the course of five seasons of that show. I think she joined the writing staff in the second season. And Six Feet Under was like 
extremely well-written show. That was the hallmark of that series. And unsurprisingly, she did the fantastic episode of the show. If you remember, if you're a Six Feet Under fan, the episode where the Fishers host a Jewish funeral, and there's this female rabbi character who's really one of the um, most memorable, I feel like, one-off supporting characters in the history of that show. And this female rabbi has Nate, the main character on the show, thinking about converting uh, to Judaism. That specific episode came to mind, funnily, when I was watching Transparent, even before I looked up that she wrote that one. I mean, I was watching Transparent. There's a character on Transparent who's a female rabbi. And like I said, the show dives so much into what it is to be Jewish, what it means, um, and how that that faith, I think, could be enticing to people who aren't involved in it sometimes. And the people who are involved in it, it can be so, uh, I don't know, alienating at times, which is just such an—it's it's like the gra- a grass is always greener kind of scenario with Judaism. But I was thinking about that episode of Six Feet Under. I'm like, oh, man, this female rabbi, this kind of reminds me of of that female rabbi from Six Feet Under. And sure enough, Jill Soloway wrote that episode of Six Feet Under, which I think is just it's great. Again, it shows this this shows what she as a writer is interested in when she's putting a show together, when she's putting a script together. Soloway also wrote the season three finale of Six Feet Under, I'm Sorry, I'm Lost, which also ties to Transparent because that episode was all about the three totally different ways in which the three kids in the Fisher family saw their father. All three of them, uh, three different ages, they all have very different ways they saw their dad. It was like almost like he was three completely different people through the lens of these three different kids. And that is totally what Transparent tries to tap into a little bit. So she's obviously got, I feel like Jill Soloway obviously has this great handle on family matters and on identity. And she seems to be a person who thinks about faith a lot as well, which again is represented a lot in Transparent. So it's kind of a lofty show. Again, if you like Six Feet Under, I think you'll dig Transparent. I think you'll like the style of it. Transparent's a, a lighter show than Six Feet Under is. It's not quite so heavy, not quite so grim as that series is. And again, it's it's half-hour episodes, so it's a, a little bit less of a bear to watch than Six Feet Under is. And just the last thing I'm going to say about Transparent is this show is so moving at times. Now, the pilot episode, if you sit down to watch Transparent, and you and you watch the pilot episode like I did. Don't don't turn away from the show if you think the pilot episode stunk because I watched the pilot episode and I thought it was not very good at all. I was like, oh my god, this is you know, this is horrible. This is just not I, something just about the style of it. I didn't like the characters. I just did not like the pilot episode at all. But thankfully, I stuck with it because the second episode of the series. It's an episode called The Letting Go is honestly, and I'm not trying to use hyperbole here, it's one of the best half hours of television I have ever seen. So if you don't like the pilot, trust me, stick stick with it, watch the second episode. It's one of the best episodes of any TV show you'll ever see. And if you don't like the second episode, then you're probably not going to dig this show because that, to me, is the, that's the best episode of the series. And like I said, one of the best episodes of any half-hour series I have ever seen. It blew me away. Um, but anyways, the thing with the show is none of the characters are all that likable. So it's kind of like Seinfeld in that way. All these main characters are so selfish. They're as selfish as you can possibly be. And like once again, they're not likable. They're liars. They're dishonest people. It's just, it's not a show, it's not a heartwarming show, I will say. But all the characters really grow on you, especially Josh, whom I just could not stand at all in the first few episodes. The son of the family, I was just done with him, wanted him to be written off the show, couldn't stand him, didn't like the actor, didn't like the performance, didn't like the writing. But by the end of the series, or... I should say by the end of the second season, he becomes one of my favorite characters, and I'm I'm really excited to see where he's going to go. So Transparent's a really rewarding show, I think, if you stick with it. It's funny. It can teach you a lot about life, about identity, about family, um, and about issues of sexuality especially. So I, I applaud Jill Soloway. I pl- applaud the writing staff. And the theme song to Transparent is definitely going to be one I'm going to feature on the greatest TV show theme song of all time in an upcoming episode because it's one of my favorite theme songs I've ever heard. The only complaint is sometimes they'll change it. They'll change it to another song like uh, just for a couple episodes throughout the series. And I hate when they do that, but the theme song is perfect. So Transparent, very good show. Uh, I'm really excited to see where this is going to go 
from here, but this writing staff clearly has a great handle on these characters and about issues of identity um, and self and family. So Transparent right now is on Amazon Prime. Two seasons are streaming, and the third season should be coming sometime in uh, fall of 2016. Listen, I, have, I'm, I need to talk to you about something. There's a big change going on. And... I love your kids, I love your kids, I love your kids. I love your kids, I love your kids. It is cancer, oh Daddy, my God, you're just you were right. if you're dying. I knew it was cancer. Daddy, are you dying? I don't think cancer. he has cancer. Dad, just, just tell us how he looks. He looks good. Thank you. Wait, it doesn't matter how he looks. Remember Jill Goldberg? Yeah. She had a melanoma for three years. They didn't. They couldn't see it. Then, boom, she's dead. Bill Goldberg is dead? Yeah. yeah. No, and if Daddy had cancer, you'd have the kind of way you looked at it. The one, well, all your friends died of it. What is the thing? Prostate. Right. Prostate cancer. Right. That's right. the one that you'd yeah. probably yeah. have, right? Super yeah. stuck. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Never yeah. Yeah. Nothing to be joked about. Then that's beside How many of their friends? Stop it! And if you give Transparent a watch, I'd love to know what you think. Uh, write me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Maybe you already watched it. I'd uh, love to know what you think. Li- liked it, loved it, hated it. Um, just uh, uh, give me a shout, theclintdavis at gmail.com. All right, I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to puff my stogie a little bit and uh, toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor, to hear what he's got piping through the earbuds this week. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, I'm not going to talk about pop music today. I listened back to our last podcast and decided that I have no business talking about pop. I don't think that's what you want anyway. Like, if you're listening to this show, you're probably, one, keeping your shrink busy with uh, deep-seated self-loathing, and two, uh, you're probably already looking outside the world of pop. Now, are you going to be broken hearted if I breeze past Fergie's new song, Milf Money? No, hell no, of course not. So none of that and none of this. Not today. And you know what? I feel free. I feel pretty good. So let's talk music, you sons of guns. Not show business, but music. Big difference. I want to talk about the Red Hot Chili Peppers' new album. It's called The Getaway. Three and a half stars from Rolling Stone. Spin gave it a score of six out of ten in all music. Gave it four stars. That's out of five. This is a critical moment uh, for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's a moment that was going to get here sooner or later. When I talk about here, let me tell you what I mean. Anthony Kiedis is 53. Flea also 53. Whether they like it or not, the band's image, its very image, is changing. That's how time works. That's what it does. Uh, There's nothing that they can do about it. One moment you are young (laughs) and brash, and the next you're fighting, fighting to be the OG. Um, And this is a band that owed so much to being young and impulsive. That impulsive nature of uh, their performance especially, was was just, it was part of their art. Like in the early 90s, I actually, I went through something, I became very ill. And I got home and I was like, I don't feel good, I feel sick. And I was sick for like a year. And it was really like 
crazy. It changed my life completely. Like everything that I love to do, you know what I mean? I used to go out, with, out all night partying, playing basketball all day, jamming, doing drugs. I couldn't do anything. And it was the first time it was like the universe making me be still. You have to be still and you have to look inside yourself. The task of remaining artistically relevant uh, despite middle age and the things that come with it, whether they are the comforts of middle age or the burdens of middle ages, of course, it's not an impossible mission. It's just a tricky one. But that's how elder statesmanship works. Look at Iggy Pop. He has maintained that artistic edge in spite of age. So many artists, though, they get to that point in their lives. And again, because of either the, the comforts that come from middle age or the burdens that come from middle age or a combination of both, that edge can wear away. What happens with the Red Hot Chili Peppers if that edge wears away? Are they still the Red Hot Chili Peppers? What does that sound like? But over time, everything either evolves or mutates. And artists need to make sure that, that they're, of course, on the right side of that line. At the moment, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they are doing uh, whatever they can to remain relevant. They even did the, uh, the carpool karaoke thing with James Corden. So jelly and custard Of course, the easiest way to remain relevant is to put out good music. And here's what I want to get at. Right now, with the new album, the Chili Peppers have this covered. Uh, for whatever reason, Red Hot Chili Peppers haters are cropping up more and more these days. Be gone, nerds. The Getaway is a good album. It's not a great listen. Uh, I'm not delirious, but it's an album worth seeking out, and it plants the seeds of belief that the road ahead may not be so bad. Here's a cut called Dark Necessities. Who else has uh, new music out? Mumford & Sons. They have a new mini album or EP. Actually, I think they're calling it a mini album. Only five tracks. It's called Johannesburg. I'm looking right now. Panned by Rolling Stone. Two and a half stars. Spin gave it five. It's out of ten. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I do want to talk about Brandy Clark's new album. It's called Big Day in a Small Town. This is Clark's second album. Just her second album. Uh, and she's 40. So where's she been? She's been in the writer's room. She's, uh, she's written with Casey Musgraves. In fact, with Casey Musgraves, she wrote this song, and Miranda Lambert recorded it in 2011. That's Mama's Broken Heart, made it all the way to number two. She also wrote, uh, she also wrote this. The band Perry recorded that the following year. That was in 2012. Made it to number one on the country charts. And when you look at those songs, they're got to be you know they're remarkably different uh, in tone. Yet there's a uh, an unspoken kind of sentiment uh, that sort of links them together. In other words, you can tell that the same person wrote the song. In that phenomenon is kind of laid out in Clark's Big Day in a Small Town. There's uh, this, kind of this old-school rustic bop uh, that you could find in a song like Daughter. Uh, and it's really easy to believe that the woman who wrote Mama's Broken Heart also wrote this song. Again, it's called Daughter. I want you to take a listen to it. It's fun. Here we go. When you broke my heart, I wanted to cut the break my 
Uh, since you've gone to heaven, which seems to align itself in the same vein uh, as Better Dig 2, although it tones down on that dark humor. This uh, new song, it's solemn. Uh, it comes from a place of uh, what I can only imagine was isolation, and there is detail in the writing. And it, really, there's detail in the writing, and there's just something in her delivery. And the combination of the two, it really makes it hard to do anything else while you listen to this song. It just grabs your attention. Since you've gone to heaven, I don't like coming home. But I can't stand the thought of mom in that big house alone. She can't keep it up She really ought to sell Oh, that house without you in it Is nothing but a shell Since you've gone to heaven The whole world's gone to hell Artists tend to have multiple selves. At least the better artists do. And Clark is no different. There are cuts on this album that are radio-ready, and that's a good thing. This music is universal. It's not niche. It's not weird. It's not uh, intended for a certain audience only. It deserves a big audience. It deserves uh, to be in front of a large number of people. Uh, All good music deserves to be in front of a large number of people. Besides, you can't change the game so to speak, and I do believe that, that Brandy Clark is one of the new uh, uh, country artists that is interested in changing the game, changing the genre, changing the expectations of country music. And you cannot do that by chilling in the back of the class. She boldly steps to the front of the class in the album's first single. It's called Girl Next Door. So there are the layers, the old school appreciation, the solemn isolation, and the mainstream chops. Producer uh, Jay Joyce is working with her. He's done all of our church's albums, and it's a great album for people who maybe uh, have these preconceived notions, sometimes deservedly so, um, about mainstream country music. And it's also a great album for, for literary types, coffee shop types. And this is where country is powerful. When you have a, an artist who is left of center and at odds with tradition, because so much of country music is, is, is rooted in tradition, and some artists, while there is an appreciation of the tradition, they're also at odds with it. And that's where the best country music comes from. It's the right recipe for some wonderful narratives. And you get them here. Do yourself a favor. Go track down Big Day in a Small Town by Brandy Clark. Mama got a call from the principal's office. Better get down here fast. Cause Mindy passed out when her water broke in the middle of geometry class. Her mama didn't know she was nine months late. Been getting on her by gaining weight. And now she's a grandma. Somebody had a baby. Somebody had a breakdown. 
has the title cut and is a guy who grew up in a small town, Circleville, Ohio, 14,000 people. There's uh, more than a little truth in that, more truth than I care to admit. Just change, uh, change gears for a second. I want to talk about homework. Nope, not the kind you get in school, but the kind that you must do in everyday life. Giving a presentation at work, you got to do your homework first. You want to see a movie? Do your homework. Watch a trailer. You want to vote in the upcoming election? Well, do your homework before you cast a ballot. You should also do your homework before you lay down a couple hundred bucks to, uh, to go see a concert. I saw Bob Dylan last week in Dayton. He was actually playing like a mile from my house. I walked over, and if you're a fan of his later work, the songs that he's cut in the last 15 years or so, you're good. If you're not expecting lasers and a smoke machine, uh, Jumbotron, the big screen, you're good. And if you're really not expecting uh, banter from the stage and chit-chat, you're good. But if you were expecting anything else, you were in trouble. Bob does not talk to his audience. He only motions uh, to the band. He doesn't do a greatest hits set. He plays almost all album cuts, and he doesn't cater to popular opinion. He only played two songs from the 60s when I saw him last week. And like it or not, when most people think of Bob Dylan to this day, they still tend to think of that uh, 60s icon. The couple beside me didn't know any of this. They told me they had his greatest hit CD, and that was it. They decided to come out to the show and get out of the house for an evening. They did not enjoy themselves. They didn't even recognize the cut they did know, which was a song called, that you're probably familiar with, it's called Tangled Up in Blue. I actually had to point out to these folks that, that Dylan was playing Tangled Up in Blue. Here's what they heard. I recorded it on my phone. Even when I listen back to that, I'm still not sure if he even says the word blue there. <laughs> uh, don't tell the Dylan camp, by the way, that I'm now sharing, uh, we're now sharing bootlegs here on the Stream Police podcast. But anyway, the, these folks did not recognize the song. He played Blowing in the Wind later. They might have enjoyed that, but they had already left. They took off not long after uh, <laughs> Tangled Up in Blue. doesn't sound like he did when he cut that song and before you go to a show you should know that it's not hard to do your research right recent uh, tour stops are all over youtube do your homework otherwise look you pay a hundred bucks for the ticket you pay 10 bucks for parking eight bucks for a beer and you're not going to drink one beer it's going to be an expensive night. Do yourself a favor by doing your homework before you uh, dig yourself a financial hole. The show was great, by the way. I enjoyed it. And, uh, and I'll tell you, sometime when we uh, get a beer, I'll have to tell you the story about how I ran into Bob Dylan and, and Elvis Costello together in Dayton before a show in uh, 2008. It's funny. But now, the bombs of the week. These are dogs, they're scum, these are songs that you don't want to be uh, associated with because the sad truth is that people will think less of you. This is a public service from the stream police, and here we go. Bomb number one, and I'm going to go way back here, but it's necessary that we do this. Uh, it is, eh, yeah, it's You're the One That I Want from the Grease soundtrack. It's time to grow up. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John prancing around in the uh, like the 70s dream version of the 1950s. It's just sad. And it's you know, I don't care what anybody says. Grease is ten times campier than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Second, Afternoon Delight by the Starlin Vocal Band. Star rockets in flight. Afternoon Delight. We get it. We all saw Anchorman. But I was surprised to hear the song... Uh, the other day in the mall, and a couple of like twenty somethings were singing along to it. I mean, clearly thinking of the movie. Well, 
that movie is uh, now 10 years old, guys. You got to move on. You got to move on. Um, I'm not stuck in the 70s here. How about Can't Stop the Feeling from Justin Timberlake? I got this feeling inside my bones. It sucks to do this because I, I really do like Justin Timberlake, but this is just just too vanilla. You know, vanilla beyond belief. And it's not entirely his fault. It was written for a kid's movie. Sounds as if it was written for a kid's movie. And I thought uh, that he really phoned in the song the first time I heard it and just kind of collected a paycheck. And then it turned into a monster hit. Um, it's not particularly memorable. Lord knows he doesn't say anything. I, I just don't get it. I, I have no idea. I guess it's just kind of fun. It's something you don't have to think about. But uh, I'm telling you, it's a bomb. Next. I know I can treat you better than he can. It's Treat You Better by Sean Mendez. Uh, I get this guy and Charlie Puth mixed up. They're like the same to me. And finally. So let's raise a glass, cheerleaders and quarterbacks, cowboys and country girls all around this small town world. It's American Country Love Song by Jake Owen. Um, between you and me, I can't stand songs that pander to the bass. And this one panders to the bass. Shameless. Those are the bombs. Now, uh, what should you be adding to your stream police playlist? First, I took a pill in Ibiza by Mike Posner. I took a pill in Ibiza To show a Fiji I was cool And when I finally got sober, felt ten years older But f*** it, it was something to do I mean, he is just shitting on himself through the entire song. It's like a just an awful web of fame and self-loathing. Uh, and it's fa- it feels you know fairly uh, revealing as you listen to it. Um, tough, tough track, really. Uh, second, sorry from Beyonce. He only want me when I'm not there. He better call Becky with the good hair. He better call Becky with the good hair. I prefer Beyonce uh, in like ramped up mode over diva Beyonce any day. Um, third trailer by Mudcrutch. I could have had the army. I could have had the navy. But no, I had to go for a mobile home. Yes, I Then, it's hard to be a saint in the city, not the Bruce Springsteen original, but the David Bowie cover. And finally, it's L.A. Freeway by Jerry Jeff Walker. And that's it. We're going to toss it back to Clint. Behave yourselves. See ya. Thank you very much, as always, Andy. Let me go ahead and relight my stogie here. Oh, that's good. Welcome back, my friend. Into my closet where I talk about TV and movies. Once again, Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com and your friendly host here on the Stream Police Podcast. All right, let's roll on and talk about HBO's mammoth hit Game of Thrones. The sixth season just wrapped on HBO and uh, is now streaming on HBO Now and HBO Go. I talked uh, exhaustively about Game of Thrones overall, its first five seasons as a series, a few episodes ago. So if you want to go back and look uh, through our older episodes, check out our Game of Thrones episode. You should see it in the title right there uh, for my exhaustive Uh, look at the series and the virtues of it and what I like and what I don't like so much about it, and also my reticence to even watch this show because of all the overhype that I had heard about it. 
But since season six just wrapped, I figured I'd talk a little bit about it because I know interest is high on this thing. I mean, they were averaging about 7 million viewers an episode for the last few episodes, and viewership kept increasing with every episode toward the end. So it's it's really approaching this ridiculous level of popularity around the world. Um, and HBO, it's the biggest hit HBO has ever had. I mean, it passed The Sopranos a couple of years ago as the most watched show in the network's history. So it's it's really impressive what the show is doing and continuing to capture, uh, you know, like even more hearts and minds, even though it's just such a grim world and such a complex show. It's amazing how many people do watch this thing. But season six, was it my least favorite season of the show? They went away from the books. I never read the books. I'm not one of those guys. But I think the writing of the show did stumble a little bit because they were out on their own with no safety net to fall down on, which would be the George R.R. Martin books. So I figured I'd go through Game of Thrones Season 6 with a little pros and cons list. What did I like? What didn't I like about this season? And we'll see if you agree or disagree with my pros and cons. You can send your own on Twitter at overdue underscore review or send them to me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. And by the way, I guess I should say there will be spoilers for season six of Game of Thrones here. I'm going to try to uh, keep the spoilers, you know, at, at as much of a minimum as I can, but I am going to talk about this season at length. So if you haven't watched it, maybe you want to just skip through this segment. First off, a pro. Jon Snow is back. All right, he's my favorite character on the show. We thought he was dead for good. I'll count that as a pro, but also as a con, I will say bringing characters back from the dead is dangerous business and lazy writing, and it undermines the deaths of any characters from here, you know, throughout the rest of the show because we know that they can always be brought back. As long as, like, their heads were not split open, you know, completely in half like the Viper or something, I don't think you could even bring him. I don't even think Melisandre could bring him back since he didn't really have a skull left. Uh, but you can bring people back. I mean, they brought the mountain back. They brought snow back. They're bringing people back from the dead like gangbusters now on Game of Thrones. So I'm going to count that as a pro and as a con. Uh, another pro here, Sansa Stark has become a legitimate badass, and her growth has actually been really fun to watch because really she used to be one of my least favorite characters on the show. Anytime they would go to Sansa, I was just bored you know, bored to tears, just bummed out. I mean, she was just this teenage girl who really didn't do anything. She was kind of milk toast, and now she's like a legitimate badass, and Sophie Turner is this beautiful young girl who uh, really has, has brought a lot, um, a lot of meat to that role. So her growth has been a lot of fun to watch. So I'll count Sansa Stark becoming a badass as a pro, but unfortunately, you always have to pay. And in a con, in the con column, Daenerys has become a total bore. And unfortunately, so has Tyrion because of his teaming with her. So Tyrion used to be like the best character on the show, but now he's gone over to, to join in with Daenerys Stormborn. Really, she's always been kind of boring. I think for the first couple seasons, she was a little bit exciting and she was endearing and human and fun to watch. Now she's just like kind of robotic. She's only really good when she's giving a speech to a bunch of people. But when you've got her in close quarters, like a one-on-one -on -one scene, she's not very good. She's stiff. She's uh, just I, I don't. She's not very fun to watch. She's not funny. I, I don't know. It's it's just kind of Daenerys has, has kind of become one of my least interesting characters on the show. I would say, and Tyrion. It's unfortunate seems like all his energy and fun has been sapped as well by being in the same room with her and being in Marine, which is like the worst location in the entire show. Nobody really knows where it is. Nobody knows why the hell it matters. Nobody really cares about it. Let's move on. Thankfully, they finally moved on. So maybe Daenerys and Tyrion will be back to being badasses again in the next season. But, you know, it's just they were boring this year, I felt. And both characters became total bores in season six. Back to the pros column. Bran Stark has finally come into his own as an interesting character, but I just don't know what role he's going to play in the coming seasons. I feel like we've kind of hit the peak with him based on what his powers were. I mean, what what can his powers really do for us at this point? That's really what I wonder. I mean, he's he can jump into people's minds. He can what does he see and know all? I mean, it seems kind of uh, unfair, I guess. And, and the Three Eyed Raven who he took over for, that guy wasn't doing much. He was just sitting in a tree all the time. I mean, he, he didn't, did he affect anything in the, in the world for all the hundreds of years or whatever that he was living in this position? I don't know. It was cool to see Max von Sydow, though, uh, on TV every week. 
So I'll put Bran Stark in the in the pro column, but his little sister Arya Stark has to go in the con column. Arya Stark is probably my second favorite character on the show behind only Jon Snow. But her storyline in season six felt like a total waste of time. And it even extended beyond season six. I mean, we're going back to like the middle of season five here for Arya's storyline. But it felt like it was all for naught, basically, when it was all said and done. I have no clue how she was able to get access to that mask that she used in the finale after she basically flipped the bird to the faceless men. I don't know how she was able to get that thing, but... Whatever, it's best not to ask too many questions sometimes. But yeah, Arya's storyline felt like a total waste of time. We're back kind of where we were at the beginning with her. I suppose she trained a little bit, maybe became a little more of a badass, a little bit more confident, more self-sure. But, you know, I feel like she was already pretty confident and self-sure, and she was already a good fighter from, uh, you know, learning learning swordplay and, and running around with the Hound all that time. So I feel like Arya's storyline really was a major con for season six. Back to the pros column. Cersei Lannister had the most interesting arc of the season, and she was just so unspeakably evil this year, especially in the finale, that I have to put it in the pros column. But I'm going to also put her in the cons column because now Cersei has the most power in the world. So that is a major con for everyone in uh, all of Westeros. So Cersei can be in the pro and the con column at the same exact time. So I suppose she cancels herself out. Back to the pros column. The big battle between Jon Snow's army and the and the Bolton's army was amazing television. It was an outstanding achievement for HBO. The production was huge. It was epic. It felt like a film, um, and it was really fun to watch. So I'll give uh, Game of Thrones Season 6 big credit for the Battle of the Bastards because that was a great episode to watch. But back to the con column, Melisandre was chased away. And Melisandre is one of the most awesome characters on this show. Not only is she probably the most gorgeous woman in the entire cast of Game of Thrones, but she's just she's kind of just cool. She's got that great little musical theme that plays every time she's on screen that's really eerie and you know, kind of gives you goosebumps. And, uh, you know, she's using her power. She's just like legitimately an all-around badass. Except for when she takes the necklace off and looks like, you know, a 200-year-old sea hag. But, you know, that's that's beyond the point. So Melisandre being chased away is definitely in the cons column. Back to the pros column. Yara Greyjoy and the Hound are back. Two of my favorite characters on the entire show. Two of the legitimate badasses of all time in the Game of Thrones universe. But in the cons column, we didn't get any time this season with the badass bitches of Dorne. And Ian McShane was only in a single episode before being killed off. So that's that, those, that's major con territory for me. And that's just that's my own little name for the uh, girls from Dorne. I don't really know what they're called, but I love them. And they're really awesome. And they're hardcore. And uh, I, I hope they're going to do a lot of killing here in the, the coming final uh, season of the show. One final pro for you from Season 6 of Game of Thrones. I loved the body medieval-style thespian troupe who was acting out some of the best scenes from the series um, in, in kind of like a historically inaccurate point of view. So that would also be a pro for me. Those scenes always made me laugh. They were like filled with just tons of uh, horrible like fart jokes and, and everything else and just over-the-top acting. And it was to me, it was just fun to watch. The guy who played... Tyrion Lannister in the Thespian Troop, really, he deserves some kind of like regional Tony or whatever award they were giving out back then. I don't know what award it would have been, but he deserved it, whatever it was. I got two more cons for you. One, it had too many feel-good moments for my taste. This season, only on Game of Thrones, could you consider like feel-good moments, moments where a guy was eaten alive by dogs. But it, that was definitely one of the most feel-good moments in the history of the show. And also like the revenge, Arya getting revenge um, in the last episode of the season. You know who I'm talking about, who she got it on. That was feel-good as well. If, it seems like a lot of people like got vengeance and got what they wanted. A lot of good characters got what they wanted, whether it was Sansa and Jon. I mean, coming back to Winterfell, all this stuff. These were feel-good moments. Um, Sam at the library. So uh, Sam getting one over on his dad, who was a total jerk-ass. These were feel-good moments on Game of Thrones, and I feel like they far outweighed the negative moments, which are usually what are the hallmark of the show. The, the positive gains in Season 6, to me, outweighed the negative, which is just not how it should be on the show. It's just not natural. 
it's not right. And finally, one more con, the biggest con of them all, is the fact that we're going to have to wait more than a year for Season 7 to start, and they're going to stretch out one season over the course of two years in classic HBO style. So basically, we're going to get one seven-episode run and then one eight-episode run over the course of two years. So that's going to be excruciating for fans of the show. Uh, It's almost like it'd be better for you to just wait till everything is settled, the series is over, everything's out on DVD and streaming, and you can just rip through the show all in one uh, because this is one of the best shows ever to binge watch for sure. So the cons outweighed the pros. So I am going to say that I think season six might have been my least favorite. I don't know. Season five was not that great either. But right now, this one's sitting as probably my least favorite episode season of Game of Thrones. What did you think? Did you love season six? Am I totally off base? Uh, did you agree with my pros and cons list? Send me your thoughts at theclintdavis at gmail.com and also shout us out on Twitter at overdue underscore review. My name is Aya Stark. I want you to know that the last thing you're ever going to see is a Stark smiling down at you as you die. <laughs> Final thing I want to do for you here on this episode of the Stream Police are is something that uh, uh, we try to do all the time on the show, which is tell you what's streaming now on Netflix, what's streaming now on Amazon that is worth your time. What should you add to the queue? New on Netflix in July, good stuff. Penny Dreadful, the Showtime series that I have raved about on this uh, show. Seasons one and two have showed up on Showtime, and it's only a three-season show. Uh, Season three will, I'm sure, be there uh, probably in the coming months. But uh, right now you can watch seasons one and two, and that is such a cool show. I've talked about it at length also in a previous episode, so you want to go back and hear my full like 15-minute uh, dissertation on Penny Dreadful. You can do that in a previous episode of the show, but I'll just tell you, it's it's, it's goth-looking, uh, great like dark fantasy show in Victorian England, and it's just a really it, it's such an interesting series with Timothy Dalton doing some of the best work of his career, Eva Green and uh, Josh Hartnett are the uh, principal actors in this show, and they all do a really good job. Penny Dreadful is a really cool and interesting and unique show. Very fun to watch, and I can't wait for season three to hit uh, Netflix because I haven't been able to watch it yet. But seasons one and two are now on Netflix, so give them a watch. I think it's 12 seasons an episode, and just a really, like I said, really cool, really dark, eerie show. If you like Tim Burton movies, you'll love Penny Dreadful. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. I want to thank Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Check out uh, our beautiful scrawlings over there at the website, long-form reviews on movies and uh, records and TV from all eras, especially movies and music. That's really what we tackle on the website. This show is more about TV for me, but do a lot of uh, I, I do I've done a ton of movie reviews, a couple hundred movie reviews over at the website over the years if you want to read them. Coming up in future episodes of the show next time, I'll talk about Orphan Black from BBC America. I'm also going to talk about Miles Ahead, which is coming to DVD soon, and we'll be talking about Bloodline in future episodes as well. So plenty of things to get to. Stick with us here on the Stream Police. Subscribe and get your friends to as well, uh, and check us out next time. Until then, stream on, my friend. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.